And uh, you are well served here with Matt, and so appreciate him. So if you haven't been around for the teaching through 1 Timothy, uh, just sort of remind us where we've come. And so 1 Timothy is what's called a pastoral letter. It's not a letter written to the churches. It's written to the leadership. And so Paul was writing to his spiritual son, Timothy, who was at Ephesus. And Paul was very familiar with his place, Ephesus. He spent uh, two, and a half, two years, maybe a little longer there at Ephesus. He knew every Walmart in Ephesus. It was, that's true, by the way. It was a very complicated city. It was sort of like the equivalent of New York City. It was very complicated. A lot of different ideas, a lot of different philosophies there. And so he wrote to Timothy, understanding the dynamic of what that church was all about. First Timothy, if you've been following along, has a lot to do with sound doctrine. But it's not just that. It's also dealing with how we deal with each other as families. And it deals with how we think about those who are going to be serving as elders and deacons. And if you were here last week, you had a chance to hear a marvelous message on 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2 about employers and employees. Stuff is gold. So my task today is to lead us through 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 10. And we're going to look at basically two concepts today. The characteristics of those who teach false doctrine and also godliness with contentment is great gain. Would you pray for me as we move into our time in the Word? Heavenly Father, here's what I know, that all of us have stuff. All of us are broken. All of us came with stuff that is heavy. God, I pray that you would help us. Be encouraging to us today. We need you. Father, hearts are with the family of that Gilbert student who took their life. It is so hard. And we pray in Jesus' name for that family and that community. God, for that school, Lord, what are you doing there? We pray that you would do something amazing in the life of the, the teachers, the students, that community. God, I pray for this flock that today would be a time of encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles or your apps, please open them to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first few verses. It begins, teach and encourage. 1 Timothy 6 beginning in end of verse 2, teach and encourage these things. Not just teach, but also encourage. I like that part. We're going to encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine, does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy, spirit, an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. And from these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among those whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Now, it's interesting in this first part of our passage that Paul does not go after a specific form of false teaching. And he certainly knew all that was going on there. If you think about the book of Galatians, he's writing to Galatians and talking about a specific type of false doctrine there. There were a lot of Jewish Christians who were trying to teach the people that they need to go back and follow the Old Testament. He was speaking specifically to that particular false doctrine. But here he's not doing that. Why is that? 
because he's trying to help Timothy and us to understand what false teachers look like. He's not focusing on the particulars because these false teachers are all going to look sort of similar. And let's take a look at the, the tests. There are four tests that he gives in this passage. First of all, teaching must align with the sound teaching of Christ. It must align with the sound teaching of Christ. Second, it must promote godliness. It must promote godliness. Third, false teachers are conceited and they understand nothing. And fourth, false teachers are in it for the money. Well, this isn't the only place in 1 Timothy that Paul is addressing this subject of false doctrine. In fact, the very beginning of the book, he starts off in verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, And I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine. That's why he was there. He was, he was having Timothy stay in Ephesus. Why? For one main reason, this issue of false doctrine. This must have been a big deal. Or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. And then in the middle, there's lots of places, but another passage in the middle, one of my favorite verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, pay close attention to your life and teaching. Persevere in these things, for in, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Other versions translate this, watch your life and your doctrine. So notice this duality between what you believe and how you live. Let me say that again. Notice the duality between what you believe and how you live. And we're going to see this come up later. And he ends the message Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid irrelevant um, and empty speech. Sorry, irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge by professing that some people have departed from the faith. So he begins the letter this way. It's in the middle at the very end. I don't know if you've ever received a letter from your parent that maybe things weren't going so well. And your parents sent a letter and said, look, I understand you're not studying. They start the letter with this. And in the middle, they bring it up. And at the end, they remind you. They're trying to get through to you. And I think this is what Paul is trying to communicate, his concern with sound doctrine. This is also brought up in 2 Timothy. So now Paul is in prison. He's writing this letter to Timothy. In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. Anyone here from Canada? No. I'm going to get in trouble for that comment. Sorry about that. Pardon me. Okay. Nobody here from Canada. Good. All right. But that may come here, right? There may be a day when a pastor cannot teach the word of God in this country. It's terrifying. People will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And sadly, our country is full of mainline churches who have left the teaching of God and have gone to irrelevant myths. But it's not just in First and Second Timothy. It's throughout the Bible. 
In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? This is our first example of someone who's challenging sound doctrine. It's the serpent, right from the beginning, the importance of God's truth and God's doctrine. Secondly, the Ten Commandments in the whole Jewish law reflects that God is a holy God, not a God of relativism. That's largely how we got into this mess in our country, is this idea of relativism. What's right for you may not be right for me, as if none of this stuff really matters. Romans chapter 1. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. This is, I can't help but pause with this. Take a look at this. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. It says, therefore, God delivered them over to the desire of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Underline or note this. They exchanged the truth of God. Listen to me now. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And for this reason, because they exchanged the truth of God for life. For this reason, God has delivered them over to disgraceful passions. The women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and, and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Notice again the relationship between what you believe and your actions. And my friends, we are living in Ephesus. Amen? Woo! What we are doing to our children. And I'm just curious. I love seeing children. If you are under the age of 18, 18 or younger, could you just stand up? Because I want to see where you are. Just stand up. I want to see all of the children. Look at this. Look at all these children in this church. This does my heart good. How about clapping for those children? Come on. You can have a seat. We have a lot at stake. We have a lot at stake. I am, does my heart good to see all these children here. So how do we protect against this issue of sound, false teachers for ourselves, our families, and our church? First of all, for ourselves, know the scriptures. Know the scriptures. Take, this is stuff to take notes on if you're taking notes. This is good stuff. I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And, and this last week, did you find yourself bumping around the dark? Because you weren't in God's word, right? We need God's word every day. And secondly, Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renewing of your mind. Then I want you to think about this. This is crazy. I think you should study theology. Oh, man, did he say study theology? C.S. Lewis says, theology is like a map. Doctrines are not God. They are only a kind of map. And if you want to get any further, you must use the map. Right? For our families, when our children were young, I, we read a book together by J.W. Alexander. It's an old book. It's, got, it's written in sort of old language. 
It's called Thoughts on Family Worship. And this concept of family worship is where at the end of the day, you gather your flock around and you open God's word and you sing together. I know, I know. Greg's like, we shouldn't be singing in my house, but I'm telling you, you need to sing to those children and to pray on your knees. It's called Thoughts on Family Worship. And it changed our family and it changed the flock, the church that we were part of at that time. And just the consistency day after day and year after year of opening God's word and worshiping together and praying together on our knees. Come on, that's what we need to do for these kids. Catechisms. Catechisms are a way of training children in a series of questions and answers to help teach sound doctrine. I don't know if that's something that's done here, but it's something to think about. And then as a church, we need to continue to give attention to sound teaching and set aside elders who are committed to sound doctrine. Our next passage, go back to 1 Timothy beginning in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This reminds me of Job where he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. Right? We can't take it with us. I, I sat with an older couple, and they were doing some estate planning with me. And they had accumulated a very large sum of money, millions of dollars. He had, this man had spent years focused in building this wealth. And the reality was now he had come to me because it was my task to help figure out what to do with this wealth. And, and he said to me in a, in a manner that shook me to my core, he said, Tim, I have no idea what to do with all of this. And I looked into his soul and I said, I cannot help you take this with you. You will leave it all. Alistair Begg defines contentment, and this may be worth showing up for all by itself today. He says, contentment is not desiring anything more than you have. Write that down. Contentment is desiring nothing more than you have. Just imagine how freeing that would be if you desired nothing more than you have. And this applies to all kinds of things. Let's start with something simple, like your grass, right? My grass is only going to be so good. I have a neighbor. Is this, are we recording this? We are? Okay, we hope you won't hear this. But I have this neighbor. 
there hasn't been a dandelion in this yard since 1978. <laughs> I, I want my yard to look like his yard. Right? That's a silly example. Actually, it's not so silly. But anyway, what if we apply this to our spouse? Come on. Women, are you wanting someone else other than, if I just had a husband that was, and man, I know I'm talking to you. If only I had contentment. And certainly this applies in the area of finances. If I only had a better job, a better car, a better body, right? Contentment. Now, in case you think this is a passage just for people that are sitting on $10 million, I know lots and lots of people who have very little, and they struggle with this issue of coveting money just as much as anybody else. So this idea of loving money is not something for the wealthy. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, moth, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will, will be also. No one can serve two masters. Guys, if you are longing for more and more of the things of this world, you are a slave to that stuff, and you can't do both. Come on. And then in Luke 18, there's this really interesting exchange. Jesus is having a conversation with this rich young man. And we don't have the time to go through all that. And Jesus says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man is, impo is possible with God. Now, if you stopped right there, this is looking really bad for the rich. right? But the story doesn't end there. And then immediately... In Luke 19, we have this amazing story of Zacchaeus, one of my favorite, favorite stories in the scriptures. And he's a rich guy who's now following Jesus. His world is turned upside down. And he now sees his wealth doesn't actually belong to him and never did to begin with, but now he understands. And he's living a life sold out for Jesus. So beautiful. So if money is not to be our source of contentment, then what should be, turn with me to to Philippians chapter 4, you're getting a, an exercise in your Bible today. Philippians 4 says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. This is Philippians 4, 11 through 13. I know how to do with little, and I know how to do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I can do all things through through him who strengthens me. My friends, what we need to bring contentment is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Is Jesus. Corey Tenboom. I love Corey Tenboom. If you've not read The Hiding Place, now turn your world upside down. I love Corey Tenboom. I want to be Corey Tenboom. She said, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until you learn that Christ is all you have. 
sometimes this all gets fuzzy, right? And we allow the things around us to cloud our devotion to him. I feel like singing a song. Should we sing a song? No pressure. This is your chance. Should we sing a song? Let's sing a song. Sometimes I get messed up, and I need to refocus. And if you know this song, sing with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. Thank you for singing with me. And sometimes we just need to turn off everything and just grab that song and just come back to what's important, right? Well, you're, you may have thought to yourself, man, I'm, I sure dodged the bullet this morning. I don't think I'm teaching false doctrine, and I really don't love money. Well, I have three other thieves of contentment. First is unconfessed sin. Remember, it says godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. So if you have unconfessed sin, if you're walking with unconfessed sin, guys, this is going to rob your contentment. It just will. You can't keep walking with unconfessed sin and possibly be content. It doesn't work that way. Secondly, bitterness. I, I, this is my journey. I grew up learning to be bitter. And I lived, I lived in a prison. I lived in a prison of bitterness. And our God was so merciful, he set me free from that bitterness. And maybe someone here today is saying, yeah, that's me, actually. I'm really angry, and I, and I, I, can't, I keep playing back the tape. That's how you know you're in prison, right? That issue just keeps playing back over and over. It wakes you up at night. It, it slips in. You're thinking about this bitterness. And the third is idolatry. And this is anything that will take you away from the throne of Jesus. And it's so easy to put things on this throne. They sneak up so quickly. Um, I run with a running group on Saturday mornings. And it's one of the highlights of my week, but I have friends that I run with, and they've taken this thing of running, which, which is a good thing, and they have made it their God. They've made fitness their God, and they are consumed with their God. And all they do is they think about their God, because that's what we do with our God. And you can fill in the blank. I have friends that are hunters, and that's all they do. They read everything hunting, and they focus on 
everything hunting, and hunting has become their God. And you can fill in the blank whatever your thing is. My friends, nothing should take that, that place of the throne in your heart. Now, I want to be clear here. This whole issue of contentment we're talking about, this actually isn't for you. I hope you see that. You see, the whole goal of all this teaching isn't some kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, some kind of self-actualization. So the, the goal of all of this stuff is that you can be content, as if you're the focus of the entire universe. It is not. The purpose of this contentment is to free you up so you can be the people that God wants you to be. And our churches, my church, this church, has lots of people who have flat tires. You have flat tires. And you wonder why there has been no fruit from your life. It's because you have a love of money, because you have unconfessed sin, because you're in the prison of bitterness, or you have idolatry. You have a flat tire, and God can't use you. Let me share with you an example of how I was on the receiving end of this. A number of years ago, I was in a bad spot. Anyone here ever been in a bad spot? If you've been in a bad spot, can I see your hand? So I, you can relate to me. I was in a bad spot. And when I, I didn't want to be around people. I just wanted to be by myself. I had to go get some gas. I was at the gas station on North Grand. And I was in my zone. I was hurting. I was in pain. I had stuff going on in my life, family stuff going on. It was messing me up. I'm there to get gas. And the lady pulls in. She gets gas on the other side of the island. She says, you're Tim Garden. I said, yes, I am. I'm not wanting to talk to her. Have I, have I made that clear? She says, do you remember me? I said, ma'am, I am so sorry, but I don't. She said, you represented my son many years ago. I said, okay. She said, I wanted you to know something. This was a really, really dark time in my family. And God has done so much to redeem my son. And I'm trying to carry on a civil conversation. But inside, I am falling apart. And I'm saying to God, what kind of God are you? You would come to a gas station to seek me out. It's one thing to go to the heights of the mountains or the depths of the, the depths. Would you come to find me in a gas station? Because this lady, she was available. She was available. The Holy Spirit said, go talk to this guy. And she was obedient, talked to the guy. How many times are we in situations where God wants to use us, but we're so obsessed with money, we have unconfessed sin, we're in bitterness, and we have idolatry, and we're not available. Think of the, how big this church would have to be. Think of the impact on this community if we got serious about Jesus. Am I hitting pay dirt? Come on. God wants to do so much with us if we would just deal with these issues. So how do we prepare ourselves, our families, and our church to be vigilant against these thieves of contentment. First of all, for ourselves, preach to yourself the gospel daily. Every day we need to encounter the cross. The cross is where it is at. And examine your heart for love of money, unconfessed sin, bitterness, and idolatry. 
There may be some people here today that are living in darkness. You guys all look good. But inside, come on, there's stuff going on, and you know it. Today may be a really good day to come to Jesus. For our families, and I'm going to give some things from moms and dads to write down, because i got things, some things to say to you. Um, and I'm going to go slow, and we're going to write these down. Because how you are raising your children is important. And in fact, this freaked me out when we had little ones. I realized that I parent the way my parents parented me. Are you with me on this? So in parenting my children, I'm actually parenting indirectly my grandkids. No pressure, dads and moms. No pressure. Angel, no pressure. You got to meet Angel before you leave today. He's awesome. So I have some guidance for you, and I want you to think about how you are modeling. First of all, model contentment rather than materialism, conspicuous consumption and envy. As parents, are you modeling contentment for your children? So don't be surprised if your kids have a love of money if that's all you ever model for them. Secondly, model generosity rather than selfishness? Do your kids see you as having an open hand to people? Are you generous with this church? Are you generous with others? Is the cadence of your life to be a miser or to be open-handed? Third, model confession of sin and authenticity rather than phony legalistic perfection. I want to read that one again. Model confession of sin and authenticity rather than phony, legalistic perfection. Guys, I'm messed up. And so are you. We're all messed up. That's why we're here. His name is Jesus. Guys, model for your kids in ways, in ways that are age appropriate, right? But model for your kids an authenticity of faith. Because look, they're going to leave your home someday. I know this is like freaking you out to think about this. I get it. But this modeling thing is important. And if you model for them that Christianity is something phony and fake that we just go through the motions on, don't be surprised if they don't stay with the church. If it's not real for you, it's not going to be real for them. Come on. Next, model forgiveness and giving grace rather than holding grudges, sulking, and bitterness. The fifth one, model forgiveness and giving grace. Men, I got a word for you. My father never asked forgiveness, never said he was sorry any time I remember growing up. I don't know if it was a generational thing. I don't think that's an excuse, honestly. But I wanted to model for my kids that sometimes I screwed up. I, I spoke harshly. I was inconsiderate. I was not polite. And I did not want the sun to go down. And, and I wanted there to be moments when I would even have to go into the bedroom and just say, look, I don't want the day to end unless I tell you I'm sorry and I ask for your forgiveness. That's modeling Jesus, right? And, if, and men, if you've not asked forgiveness of your wife lately, you just need to. Because there's got to be something. 
There has to be something. I learned a long time ago when the disputes with my wife and I, I was generally wrong. So I figured this out. Some of you men haven't quite figured this out yet. So that could be just a good application today is just go home and ask forgiveness for something because there's got to be something, men, that you need to ask forgiveness for. And, and the final one is model the lordship of Jesus in everything. Look, if Christianity is just showing up here and worshiping and singing, and then you go home, and then the idols come out, right, wherever those idols are, and they come out the rest of the week, what a strange way to live. So the lordship of Jesus should be Monday morning, Monday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, every day. The Lord Jesus should reign in your home. And for our church, leadership starts at the top. Sorry, elders. And so you elders need to constantly be asking God to show you areas where there's love of money, un, uh, uh, for sin that you have not asked forgiveness for, uh, bitterness or idolatry. And then finally, for connection groups. I hope that all of you have an opportunity to be in connection groups. Here's how I think of connection groups. I think of connection groups are places where periodically we're going to have people in our connection group that will have a flat tire. That will be me. There are just times all of us need that. And so I have never been more convinced in all my life that we need each other. You see, the church isn't something you go to. When I was young, I grew up going to church. The church is what we are. My church meets on Thursday nights at 6.30 in my living room. And sometimes we got people that got a flat tire. And if they're willing to be honest and vulnerable, we come alongside and we pray and we minister and we fix that flat tire. But so many of us are trying to make this trip and we don't have a pit crew to help us with our flat tire. My friends, this letter isn't just for First Timothy. It is for us, our families, and our churches. Watch your life and your doctrine. Find contentment in Christ alone. Let me pray over you folks today. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it has been to be among this flock. Thank you for your word. God, I, as I was teaching today, I felt like there was pay dirt. I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to people. God, I pray that I pray in Jesus' name that you would do what you want to do in our hearts. Bless this church. God, I pray that they would have trouble finding a place big enough for all the people that need to come and worship in this house. In Jesus' name, amen.